Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast, your trusted resource for breast health information, support, and encouragement. Your host today is Dr. Ashley Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. Welcome. Welcome to the Breast of Everything podcast. I am Dr. Ashley Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. Today, I'm very happy to introduce Nikki Barclay, a wife, mother of two boys, and a breast cancer survivor. She is here to share her personal story in hopes of helping other women navigate their cancer journey more smoothly and learn more about the importance of genetic testing. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dr. Richardson. So I think we should get started and discuss how you were originally diagnosed or found your breast cancer because it was pretty interesting to begin with. Yes. So um, at the end of October of 2020, I just went for a routine mammogram. Um, did not expect to have any issues whatsoever. Um, the mammogram showed up calcium deposits. And after a biopsy, I was diagnosed with extensive DCIS. Um, and from that point, um, I went and seen you. And we talked about um, options there. And um, we talked about, uh, since it was so extensive, um, that I would need to have um, a mastectomy based on that. So I went from just going from a routine mammogram to your office. <laughs> and I think, one of the, I think one of the important points is your age. Could you tell us how old you were when you went for that routine mammogram? I was 41. So, you know, we often recommend mammograms to begin at age 40. And so you had had one mammogram at 40, correct? Yes. And so this was just your second mammogram, if I recall. That is correct. So like you mentioned, you were just going in for a routine mammogram, age 41, expecting to kind of pop in, pop out, and keep going on. But unfortunately, yes. you got called back. And like you had mentioned, there were some calcium deposits, and those looked a little bit suspicious on imaging, and um, then underwent the biopsy. Uh, DCIS, for some of our listeners that may not know, is uh, called ductal carcinoma in situ, and it's a stage zero breast cancer. So it is the earliest we can find it, um, not considered invasive, but can turn into invasive breast cancer. So then, yes, Correct. I yeah. met you in the office, and mm -hmm. I distinctly remember the point of the conversation where I brought up mastectomy. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? Oh, yes, I do. And do you um, remember what happened? <laughs> Would you like to share with our listeners? So we were having our. <laughs> <laughs> I cried a lot. At that point, um, it was all very over, um, overwhelming. Um, like I said, I, I didn't feel any lumps. I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel like there was anything wrong with me. Um, and due to it being so extensive, you did recommend, you know, that I had a mastectomy at that point in time. Um, it was just the right side. Um, and the left side was clear. And so, yeah, I do remember, I cried a lot. I remember you continuously talking to my husband. He was there with me and telling him a lot of the stuff. And you kept saying, she's not going to remember this. So I'm telling you, <laughs> and I was thankful for that because you were absolutely correct. It was so overwhelming. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the best things about having somebody come with you, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a spouse or a family member, a neighbor, anybody that's there is a second set of ears, because oftentimes there is a point in that conversation that I can recognize I've lost you. Yeah. And 
Um, obviously, we never want to have to tell a patient that she may have to lose her breast. But as I was going through the details, and when we say extensive, that area of calcifications in your breast was quite large. And so right. the area relative to your native breast volume just cosmetically really wouldn't be an appealing outcome. Mm-hmm. And then I led into mastectomy, and I could see that cloud just go over your face and the mm-hmm. tears come. And mm-hmm. at that point, I knew we weren't going to get much farther there. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, we did get there, right? We did. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about um, surgical expectations and mastectomy. And can you talk a little bit about your discussion with plastic surgery for reconstruction? Yes. So at that point, um, I decided to see a plastic surgeon and um, I wanted to have immediate reconstruction if possible, um, just for the sense of um, myself, my self-image. I felt like um, at that point in time, it was either one side or both. Um, I was making that decision at that point in time, and I was going back and forth there. And um, so you sent me to see a plastic surgeon, and um, I discussed it a lot with her, and I made the ultimate decision that I was going to have immediate reconstruction if possible. And when we saw for the consult, we talked a lot about the indications for genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we mentioned you were 41 at the time of diagnosis. And yes. uh, given your diagnosis, we discussed the indications for genetic testing, and we did genetic testing at that first visit. Um, can you describe your family history? Because I know a lot of patients will come into the appointments, like you said, I don't feel sick. I don't have a family history. How could this be happening to me right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my father's mother had breast cancer. And um, I actually found out after I was diagnosed, her sister also had breast cancer. And then my mother's sister also had breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Um, so it was on both sides of the family. Um, but not my mother, I guess, per se. So you kind of think like, super close to you, you know, um, being a possibility. I never really imagined um, needing to be genetically tested, I guess, at that point in time. I never really crossed my mind. Right. And obviously, you were taking in so much new information, not only the new diagnosis itself, um, the possibility of mastectomy, but then also thinking about maybe having a genetic mutation that would have implications for, you know, surgical options, as well as long term treatment plans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you and your family handle everything that was going on at the time of diagnosis and after the consult? Well, I was a complete disaster at first. And um, I'm extremely thankful that my husband was there with me. He's been there from the very beginning. Um, he is my biggest cheerleader and um, has made sure that I knew that I was going to make it through it. Um, my children are young, so they didn't really fully understand. Um, at the time of diagnosis, they were two and five. So really understanding exactly what was going on. I didn't tell them exactly so much. Um, they were going to watch me go through a couple surgeries. And then my um, extended family, my mom and my sister, probably took it worse away from me than around me. They tried to keep it together around me and um, were extremely helpful with everything that um, I was getting ready to face. 
Yeah, I, I distinctly remember your husband at the consult, and he kept kind of making eye contact with me. Like you said, I spoke a lot to him, um, mm-hmm. knowing that I could tell he was going to be there for you. So I think that's oh, been, ex- you know, great throughout your treatment plan to have all of them by your side. Yes. And especially once we were getting underneath uh, or underway with the treatment course, we did genetic testing, and you were found to have a pathogenic mutation and carry the BRCA2 mutation. Yes. Um, how did you take that news when we talked about that? Um, in a weird way, I kind of felt like, ah, this is why it's happening to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't still at that time realize how important the genetic testing was going to be for not only my future, but the future of my family, because everything was kind of a blur. It was happening so fast. Um, I was diagnosed um, at the end in November and I had had surgery by December and I felt like I didn't really realize the, how much it was going to affect me, I guess, or how much it was actually going to benefit me in a way, knowing that I do have this mutation and not only benefit me, but benefit my family, knowing that they could possibly have it and they could be monitored for it as well. Well, and I think you bring up a good point that I often have patients say, well, if I don't have a mutation, why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. So when you said, you know, when you found out that you had it, it kind of helped you make sense of it. Um, Only 5 to 10% of our breast cancer patients actually carry a genetic mutation. So Mm -hmm. it's actually rather rare for those diagnosed. But in the younger population, that risk is uh, um, the younger population that's diagnosed, that risk is a little bit higher. And you have a sense of maybe understanding why it happens sometimes. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right. No, you're exactly right. And then once we found out about it, then we did discuss the elevated risk for additional breast cancers down the road. When you have a BRCA2 mutation, it can increase your risk for a new tumor um, in either breast. And so at that point, we had already been talking about a right mastectomy and you elected to go forward with a contralateral left mastectomy as well, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, so I guess I, w- I think it'd be really helpful to talk a little bit about um, how did you do after surgery? So we went in for mastectomy um, mm-hmm. in a sentinel node biopsy. And then, you, like you mentioned, elected for breast reconstruction immediately. So could you talk a little bit about the postoperative course and how you did after surgery? After surgery, it was hard, not only um, physically, but emotionally. Um, it was, I would say, the emotional impact of the surgery and the whole process surpassed the physical. Um, pain is a temporary thing. And the emotion, it was extremely emotional, um, still extremely emotional. It was an extensive surgery. Um, and the healing process took some time. I still um, am almost, you know, I'm nine months, almost 10 months out. And I still um, have effects, you know, after effects of not only surgery, but I ended up having to have additional treatment. So So can you talk a little bit about how did you do with your kids at home? Um, You know, a lot of our younger ladies at diagnosis have young children. And now you are, you know, postoperatively at home and you have a two and a Mm five-year-old. That was the hardest part. Um, I felt like I couldn't do my mom duties. I couldn't have my kids on my lap. I couldn't pick up my kids. Again, I couldn't have done it without my husband. Um, He had to take over everything in the house and the kids. And um, I was also, my kids went away and stayed with my mom and my sister. They were 
there the entire time. So just so they didn't have to see me, you know, you come out of surgery and you have drains coming out of you and um, you're swollen and you're just not mom, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, want them to see me like that in a way. So, but I also needed my kids too, because I, seeing them, I needed them as well um, for my emotional journey. And so it is a hard struggle. Um, One thing I remember you telling me in the office and you said, there is light at the end of your tunnel. I can see it. You can't yet. And you were absolutely right. At that point in time, I could not see the light. And you know, it's a journey that you take to get to the end and um, you do each step and you do each step and you're exactly right. There is light at the end of my tunnel and I see it now. And I think, you know, being part of this podcast shows how far you've come. And that mm-hmm. had I mentioned that at the consult, listen, Nikki, in a year from now, you and I are going to be sitting across the coffee table <laughs> having a podcast. You would have kept crying, I think, absolutely, and, and thought I was crazy. But, you know, you share so many emotional things that is lost on those that aren't part of the journey or part of that close circle, um, mm-hmm. those intimate daily things, what like the not being able to pick up after the kids or not being able to lift them out of the bathtub when you're in that post-operative period. Mm-hmm. And that describes a lot of what you go through, not just the breast cancer itself, but what it takes away from you at certain points. Yes, absolutely. But now on the end of this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you also gain a lot and you realize how strong you are. You realize what you've overcome, the relationship with you and your husband. I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot to be said for that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have never made it through this without him. I would have never made it. (laughs) And you kind of briefly just touched on that you needed additional treatment. So going into surgery, we knew that you had right breast ductal carcinoma in situ. Can Mm -hmm. you share a little bit about how our treatment course changed after surgery? Yes. So after surgery, during pathology, they found um, seven millimeters of invasive cancer that did not show up on my mammogram did not show up on my MRI. And also two of the four sentinel lip nodes that Um, were removed, tested positive for cancer cells. So my additional diagnosis was now off the table and I was waiting on my Onco score to come back to see if I was going to need chemotherapy. And um, so my whole course of treatment from the pre-op was completely different post-op. So as you're healing and you get these calls, it's, again, so emotional, you know, you're just, they found it. Now you're going to wait and see what they say, how, if you're going to need what kind of treatment you're going to need next. Well, I think one of the things that when we sat down at that original cancer consult, we kind of outline a treatment course and we say, Mm -hmm. you know, with DCIS, there is no indication for chemotherapy with mastectomy, likely no indication for radiation. And Mm -hmm. at the end of surgery, after we got all of your final pathology back, those initial recommendations took a curveball. And so, you know, in your mind, you went into surgery thinking this is kind of the last shebang. And then after this, you know, once surgery is over, 
I'm good to go. And then like you mentioned, I called you with your pathology because I never make you wait till you see me in the office and said, well, instead of just DCIS, there was some invasive cancer, but a very small focus, right? You said seven millimeters, right? Um, but then two of the lymph nodes. And so then the discussion shifted and then right. chemotherapy was on the table and radiation was on the table. So right. all of those emotions took a curveball. Oh, yes. Um, do, you, yes. do you remember how you felt when we talked about that? Scared. Um, scared because now not only was I waiting to go see oncology, you were sending me for um, scans, CT scans and bone scans to see, is there cancer throughout my entire body? Um, it's scary. It's emotional. And um, I thank God that, you know, my scans came back clear. And um, then we waited on the Onco score to come back and that I got a call from you to tell me that my um, score was low. And that was probably the best call I had from you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not always the bearer of bad news. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I do think it's important to outline that, you know, although we have the best laid plan with breast cancer care, with most Mm -hmm. oncology care, those plans can take a shift and it can detour you in a different treatment course. And um, you have to be flexible. You have to be amendable to changing that treatment course. And that is hard, believe me, coming from a type A person like myself, not Mm -hmm. sticking to routine, kind of detouring off of what I have control over. That's hard. And I could certainly feel those emotions with you throughout that process. After we got that pathology back and most of your treatment was done, then we started to really delve into the BRCA2 mutation. Um, I know we talked about a genetic counselor and you were able to meet with them to discuss what truly does the BRCA2 mutation mean for you as well as your family members. Could you touch on that a bit? Yeah. So um, with the BRCA2, I had an elevated risk of also ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, um, melanoma, and I have a 50% chance of passing that on to my child, my children. Um, and it also means that it came from one of my parents. So that plays in the part. I have one sister. She could possibly have it. She has a 50% chance, just like me, that she could have it or not. And so then your sister was encouraged to undergo genetic testing as well as your other family members. Yes. So my Where sister was of- encouraged. And my sister's test came back positive as well. So she is also BRCA2 positive. Um, I was really expecting her not to be, you know, 50-50 chance. Only one of us gets it. So we both are BRCA2 positive. And um, that puts her into, she was already at an elevated risk based on my history, even without the BRCA2. But that puts her into a category of being um, monitored differently, Um, you know, alternating mammograms with MRIs and um, doing different things with her gynecologist as far as for like ovarian cancer. Yeah, you know, when once we know that you have a BRCA2 mutation, it elevates you into a high-risk category. And part of our high-risk screening protocols is an annual breast MRI and an annual mammogram, kind of alternating those exams every six months. Um, the discussion also goes into prophylactic mastectomy. So mm-hmm. now your sister is counseled about the um, indications for having both breasts off before a cancer diagnosis arises. Right. So she does have options. And like you mentioned earlier, um, knowing 
a little bit more about the mutation and how it affects family members gives them an opportunity for more of a preventative approach as opposed to a reactive approach. Right. And it's important to touch on, like you said, it could came from it could have came could have came from either family member, mom or dad. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks have a, are misguided that it only comes from mom's side of the family, but in actuality, it can come from the mother or the father's side, and you can pass it on to your children, whether they be male or female. So these right. are a lot of things that I counsel patients about when we see them in the office and. There's been so much about your treatment, your diagnosis, and then as well as the genetics that have been unique, but also so helpful for our listeners that are going through something similar. Good. Are there any other messages that you'd like to share with those listening to the podcast? Um, everyone get their mammograms. Um, <laughs> so like I said, I didn't think twice going into that mammogram. Um, I just thought it was just a routine and I was just gonna, you know, the next day was Halloween and I was went home and I was setting up myself for Halloween, didn't think twice about it. And they called me that day and said, Hey, we found this. If I would have never went there, um, you know, who knows, it would have just been continuously developing because like I said, I didn't feel lumps. I didn't feel anything like that. So um, I think that's and, a great point, especially given the current national pandemic. You know, there are yes. so many people right now that missed imaging last year yes. that kind of missed appointments or preventative medicine. And um, right. that is something right now that I could not stress enough. So I'm so happy you brought that up. And I also want to say to anyone who is newly diagnosed or those going through treatment that I know it's hard, but you can do it. Um, I went from initial diagnosis of stage zero to finding out I was BRCA2 positive, opting to have a double mastectomy, ending um, a final diagnosis of being stage two, went through 33 rounds of radiation, had a full hysterectomy to prevent um, ovarian cancer since I was BRCA2 positive, and I am okay. I did all of that in less than a year. So anyone who is um, having an emotional struggle right now, um, know that you will keep fighting and days are hard, but you will make it through it. When I found out, I work with all women at my job and I called all of them (laughs) to (laughs) let them know I was going out on leave. But hey, do you get your yearly mammogram? And (laughs) and two of them hadn't had mammograms and they did go get mammograms because I, you know, was advocate telling them you have got to go do this. So, well, and just by being an advocate and speaking up for other people, you will help others, you know, and it just Mm -hmm. time, sometimes it takes that divine intervention or that subtle push for other people to really make it happen. And uh, especially right now with everything going on, people need a little push. Yes, I agree. And with the genetic testing as well, um, at first I I doubted it. Like I wasn't really sure, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to know? But I am so happy that I did because I do have that opportunity to, you know, have my sister tested. And, you know, she is my best friend. She is now BRCA positive as well. And if I wouldn't have got tested, she wouldn't have got tested in I don't want her to have to go through what I went through. And I know she certainly has been there by your side throughout the whole thing. So she'll be going into this with a different mindset than those that may not have had a close relative experience, the breast cancer treatment. 
Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that because I think um, if I wouldn't have went through what I went through, then I think if I would have tested positive, I kind of, you don't really think much of it, I guess. I don't know if that, I don't know if I would have, you know, thought, oh, much of it, I guess. Um, But after going through what I went through and finding invasive cancer that didn't show up on imaging um, and then having to, fortunately, I didn't have to have chemotherapy, but I went through 33 rounds of radiation, which I still feel, you know, I'm still healing from that. And just the emotional struggle of everything that happened, I just don't want her to have to go through that. Yeah, I think that there's so much to be said for that. And you can certainly hear the emotion in your voice when you talk about that. Um, You have hit so many important topics today. And I think your story will certainly resonate with those with our listeners. And I am truly so thankful for you joining us on the breast of everything. I am thankful that you had me. Thank you, Dr. Richardson. Of course. Well, thank you for listening to The Breast of Everything. I am your host, Dr. Asher Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. We want to hear from you. If you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about, we welcome your suggestions. You can send your topics to comprebreastcare.com. That's C-O-M-P-B-R-E-A-S-T-C-A-R-E.com. You've been listening to the Breast of Everything podcast with your host and board-certified breast surgeon, Dr. Ashley Richardson of Comprehensive Breast Care. If you have a subject you would like the surgeons to discuss, please email your suggestions online at compbreastcare.com. That's C-O-M-P-B-R-E-A-S-T-C-A-R-E.com. The doctors want to hear from you. The views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this podcast are intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment, or care from your physician or healthcare provider. Always consult your healthcare provider first.